Podcast. I'm Bruin Chunker. Joining me is Jacob Steinberg, and today we have a very special guest, co-managing editor of Testudo Times, Wes Brown. Wes, how you doing, man? Good. How are you? You know, pretty good. It was a pretty fun win last night. Uh, we're recording this on Sunday at ele- uh, 11 a.m., and so last yesterday, around like 3.30, I guess it was an afternoon game, Maryland won its second game of the season uh, in a game that many did not expect them to win, including me and Jacob. We're going to get to our horrible predictions in a second, but uh, Maryland defeats Penn State 35 to 19. And let me tell you guys, the score wasn't that close. Let's just start. I'm going to go give a quick outline of this game. But before that, what were your overall thoughts, West and Jacob? Um, honestly, like kind of like you said, no one expected Maryland to win this game. I'm pretty sure if you gave Maryland fans the option to said, hey, Maryland will be two and one through three weeks of the season, but Northwestern is going to be the one game you lose. No <laughs> one's going to think that's that that's what happened. But yeah, they, they came out firing kind of like they did against Minnesota, but they did so in a fashion where they were able to sort of just maintain that lead rather than give it up and have to fight back. And honestly, just being competitive against Penn State, something Maryland's been been hoping for and having that kind of effort was definitely good to see this early on. Like Locke said, they're still a growing team, but um, it, it's good to have a result like this to sort of continue to build on. Yeah, just echoing a lot of what Wes said. I mean, they won 35-19, but as you said, Varun, if you watch that game, the score is not indicative of the of that at all. Maryland dominated them from the first snap to the final whistle. Their offense was clicking early, even though the offense didn't do very well in the second half, the defense picked them up. They were phenomenal all game long. So it was a really impressive effort from the Terps and considering the past three years, getting outscored by Penn state, 163 to six, I'm certainly sure the Terps are happy right now as they should be defeating a really talented Penn state team. All right, let's get through a quick outline of the game. So the game starts and the first two drives end in almost identical fashion. Two long Keem Jared touchdowns where he just catches a in route and takes it to the house. Then you have Jake Funk breaking one for about 20 yards. Penn State then comes back and scores to make it 21-7. And I think people were thinking, oh, is this going to be a redo of last week with Minnesota where it's just a shootout? No, it's not. There's a bomb from Talia to make it 28-7. And then right out of the half, the first few, the first drive for Penn State in the second half, a fumble by Sean Clifford, scoop and score for Chance Campbell. And that's all she wrote. That was a game. There were some late uh, garbage time touchdowns added on, but those don't really matter. We're going to start, as always, with the good, the bad, and the ugly. Wes, what was good in this game for Maryland? Honestly, you, you, sort of as you pointed out, you kind of have to give it to Rakim Jarrett, you know, five-star um, coming in this season. Uh, obviously, not many players did well against Northwestern. And, you know, even during Minnesota, you know, he still hadn't scored a touchdown. So finally seeing him score a touchdown and break out like that. Uh, first Maryland true freshman with 100 yards and two touchdowns. Um, and that, that kind of fashion is something that, you know, Mike Loxley echoed and it's sort of, you know, Stefan Diggs, DJ Moore, and now it's for Kim Jarrett. So finally getting him on the, on the score sheet, is going to be big for, you know, building up his confidence and in, in his future. Yeah. The two things that stood out to me, one of the, one of the biggest stats that I saw that was really interesting was last night on Twitter. I saw it on ESPN said it. So Maryland, after their win last night against Penn state, they are the first FBS team since the merger in 1978 to record outright upsets as an underdog of 17 points or more in back-to-back games. So that's two games in a row where nobody gave Maryland the chance to win at all, me included, and they won both games. So that's really a, 
testament to Coach Loxley. And in terms of the thing that stood out from the game as a good stat is Maryland had five plays of over 25 yards, four of which were touchdowns. They had Jake Funk's 38-yard run, Dante Demas's 34-yard uh, catch, and then both of Rakim Jarrett's two touchdowns. And Maryland's offense has shown a propensity for explosive plays throughout the year. And if they're able to c- continue doing that against a really talented defense like Penn State, it opens up the whole offense because the defense starts to cheat up a little bit, trying to prevent the big play. And you saw that last night, and Talia took advantage of it. So it was a really impressive performance from Maryland all around last night. Yeah, I'm going to give the good to the defense because – my God, they played really, really well last night against a pretty good Penn State team. The coverage for large parts of the night was really well done. I thought that Nick Cross, Antoine Richardson, Tarheeb Stills, they all played really well against a talented receiving group at Penn State. A lot of the times, I mean, they, Maryland got a bunch of sacks in this game. I think they got seven or eight sacks. A lot of the sacks were just in terms they, they had they ended up with a seven sacks. A lot of the sacks were just coverage sacks, which is really nice to see. Even when Maryland came on a blitz, they weren't getting pure pass rush, but they were just holding up in coverage for a long time. And that's really hard for a defense to do, but they did it with regularity, which is one of the most. And we're seeing development from this team, right? That's that's something that I was really happy to see because we saw from the Northwestern game to the Minnesota game, the offense step up. And then we saw from the first two games to this game, the defense really take a step forward. Another big thing we've been talking about a lot, Jacob, the turnover differential was key. Wes, what do you think they did to not only not turn the ball over for the first time this season, but also for the first time this season, force turnovers and force three of them? Yeah. So, I mean, kind of like you said, in terms of, of getting pass rush, it was kind of helpful because, you know, Penn State's missing, you know, two of their best running backs and they haven't really, you know, been able to, to develop that rushing attack this year. So Maryland sort of came in and were able to, you know, blitz a little more, be a little bit more aggressive and sort of in the back end that sort of helped the defensive back because they didn't have to cover too long and, and stuff like that. So the problem was they were putting Clifford in, in tough situations where he wasn't able to sit in the pocket. So he was often, you know, having to move and scramble to avoid a sack. And then on top of that, you know, when he throws the ball, there's not much out there. So that that all sort of just feeds into, you know, fumbles and, and interceptions. Jacob, what did you think about the turnover differential? Yeah, I think Maryland's defense was just really opportunistic last night. I mean, the late two interceptions, uh, Sean Clifford did the cardinal sin for a quarterback. He threw the first one off his back foot, and Kenny Bennett was there, made a nice leaping grab. And then the next interception, Nick Cross made a nice play on the ball. And Nick Cross talked to us after the game about how the defensive coaching staff made turnovers a point of emphasis all week long, and particularly the secondary, the cornerbacks and the safeties were working on uh, ball drills as well, uh, catching interceptions and pass breakups as well. And we saw that come to fruition last night. So it was really nice to see that what the Terps have been working on in practice come to fruition in the game. And that's what Maryland's going to need to do because they're not going to get that many opportunities to force turnovers. But when they do arise, Maryland's defense needs to be opportunistic like they were last night. Anything else you guys found especially good last night? I mean, honestly, there's the the, the whole thing was probably pretty good. That was something good <laughs> Yeah, just the feeling of beating Penn State. You guys have obviously been here longer than I have. I mean, this is my first year, but... For you guys, you guys saw 59 nothing last year, right? And what kind of a shift are you seeing from this team? Obviously, the talent is different, right? This, like Jacob said it a lot, they're bringing in a bunch of new players. But are you seeing something else from this team in terms of like a mentality shift that you didn't see last year, even though the coaching staff was the same? Less than Jacob. Well, kind of like kind of like what Jacob said, you know, bringing in new players is, is obviously important, but Loxley brings in a new kind of player. Um, he like um, 
Nick Cross mentioned after the game last night, it's been, it's been echoed a lot. There's a new like professional mentality that even though these younger guys are coming in, they're not, you know, the typical younger guys that are going to need two to three years to develop before they can play on the big stage. They're coming into practice every day with a, a positive mentality, wanting to get better. And it, it, it's, it's a business. And, you know, having, having that kind of a mentality shift is, is big because now you have a whole roster of players who can make an impact on the field, not just upperclassmen. And then for me, it, it, all, it all starts with one guy. It all goes back to Talia because I know Wes grew up a Maryland fan. When is the last time that Maryland had any sort of stability at the quarterback position? And that's what Talia has provided so far. It's the most important position in in college sports. And Talia has been fantastic through three games. And obviously, he's not the only one that's spearheading the turnaround. A lot of the young guys are stepping up like Rakim Jarrett, like Ruben Hippolyte on defense last night. But when you have a young quarterback that – is confident and leads your team and is one of the vocal leaders that can go a long way. And it seems like coach Loxley and his staff really found a gem in Talia. I think you, you said stability. I think that's even underselling it a bit. I mean, this kid's a bona fide star right now. And obviously it's just been three games, but just the way he plays, the way he carries himself, the way he handles himself on and off the field. I mean, we see it in the press conferences when, you know, we ask another player on the offense about him. They glow when they talk about him. Every single person on that team seems to adore Talia, not only because he's a great player, but it seems under all indications that he's just an incredible leader. It's, 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 it's fascinating to see just how much of an impact one player changing at that one crucially important position has made for this entire team. I mean, he played, I thought another one thing that was good was the offense in the first half was really efficient, right? They got the ball, they moved down the field easy. It wasn't, there was no sacks, there was no penalties. They were really efficient and they moved down the field. Talia was making, Talia was making a very good decisions. It was quick reads. Jake Funk was getting a bit of holes. And even when he wasn't, he was uh, turning forward for a couple of yards. And then the receivers made big plays. I mean, Talia finished the game. He finished 18 of 26, 282 yards, three touchdowns, 198.4 rating. And unless you guys have anything good, that's going to take me a little bit to the bad, which was, I don't think this was the best game he could play. I thought he played a mediocre game, to be honest, even though the stats are, because I thought he made some questionable decisions that were dropped picks. And I thought we saw some, a couple of just, or a little bit of just trying to do too much like the Northwestern game. Wes, did you see that or was that just me? Um, maybe not necessarily entirely. I was for the bad. I was probably going to go with the the late game effort, kind of like Loxley. Loxley mentioned after the game, you know, there are penalties they have to clean up. And when you look at the first half, second half comparison, if if you just if you didn't look at the score, you just looked at yards. Um, Penn State pretty much controlled that second half. Um, so I mean, Maryland's got a lot to clean up in terms of being able to play a full game. Uh, you know, we saw that against Minnesota where it caught up to them quickly and they had to come back. And, you know, Penn State wasn't able to come back um, and make it a game, but there, there, there's still the door open there for, for teams to, you know, know that they can sort of outlast Maryland um, and, and just wait for them to make mistakes. So, I mean, if, if you can cut down on that, that'll, that'll certainly help. Yeah, just echoing what uh, Wes was saying, I agree completely. I, it, for me, the really only bad thing about last night's game for Maryland was just the way that they finished. As as Wes said, Coach Loxley talked about how it needs to be better. The penalties have been a persistent problem through the first three games for Maryland and definitely something they're going to need to address. And I don't know whether we can attribute that to being a youth issue or just an excitement issue as Maryland's not 
Uh, a lot of those guys aren't familiar with having a lead against Penn State, so maybe the moment got the best of them. I don't know if that's what happened. I'm not going to make an excuse for it, and neither is Coach Loxley. But if Maryland wants to continue competing against these blue blood teams in the Big Ten, they're, need to con- they're going to need to cut down on the penalties and play a complete 60-minute game of football. Yeah, I 100% agree. Uh, going to the ugly, I had the second-half offense with all the penalties and just the general malaise that seemed to set in. I think a lot of that can just be attributed to them wanting to kill clock rather than trying to score. It's not the best thing to see, obviously, but I'm not I'm not concerned about it in any way that it's going to carry over. My The big thing, and this isn't specifically Maryland, Sean Clifford is bad. I hadn't watched him play that much. I saw a little bit of the Ohio state game and he looked pretty good, but my God, he was missing throws left and right. So my question is how much of this defensive effort can be attributed to Maryland playing extremely well? And how much of it is just Penn state played really badly? I mean, honestly, from, from being there, I was able to, I was able to see more than, than the broadcast usually gives off. And it it seemed like Maryland did a good job of, you know, bumping off their tight end and making it so that, when, you know, Sean Clifford overthrew him by 10 yards, it wasn't necessarily because Sean Clifford was was missing the throw just himself. But it seemed like, you know, uh, Framuth had to had to run through a lot more. You know, he was probably five to 10 yards behind the route where he was supposed to be. So, I mean, some of some of his struggles, you can attribute it to, you know, Maryland playing really, really good defense in in the defensive backfield. And, you know, it's just, you know, he. It, not all of it can be attributed to just him him being smart and not. You know, it also comes with not having a balanced rushing attack throughout the whole game. So, you know, obviously Maryland knows to look for the pass more and, and, and whatnot. So I think I think a lot of it comes down to Maryland playing good defense. But yeah, it hasn't been a hasn't been a good season yet for Clifford. Yeah, I think I think a lot of what Wes said is 100 percent true. I think the other thing that stood out to me is Coach Loxley talked to us after the game and said how their goal going into the game was to make Sean Clifford beat them. And that's exactly what they did. And it, it and it didn't work. And the other thing that it just seemed like was he was he was out of a rhythm, really, from pretty much the first series. He never really got into a confident flow, which is really important for a quarterback. Because, I mean, look at Maryland and Talia. And the, the past three games, Talia's had an excellent opening drive. And it's been indicative of how the offense has performed for the rest of the game, except for the first game against Northwestern. But having success on the first drive is really important for a quarterback. And once... Clifford struggled with that. I think it really got to his head and you saw him struggle for the rest of the game. All right. Now let's move on to giving out the game balls and boys. I got a lot of game balls to give out today. Wes, who do you want to start with? Um, I'll personally start off with Nick Cross. Um, last year he he came on the scene and, and grew really fast and sort of earned this, this starting safety role. And I, I saw a lot of it from him last night. You know, he had the interception you know, he had the he had helped force the fumble from Clifford that Chance Campbell brought back to the house. But not just that early on when Clifford was trying to take shots deep, you know, he was he was connecting with his receivers and his tight end. But there were a few times when when Nick Cross came in and, and gave a hit in the back or was able to throw a late late arm in and were, was able to knock the ball loose. And, you know, it's those kind of plays that, you know, don't show up on the stat sheet, don't get you a lot of a lot of glow. Um, with the media, but it, it's really important because if Clifford connects on one of those 40 yard bombs down the sideline, Penn State's moving the ball. Now he's got some confidence and all that. So, you know, just being able to deliver those shots and, and make the small plays really help, you know, make this a, a full effort. Yeah, I thought his play as like a center fielder was exceptional yesterday. He, he read uh, Clifford's eyes really well. He was in the right spot all the time. I, I thought one play that I really liked was 
at one point Clifford was rolling out and he'd already burned Maryland on that drive for at that point for a couple of games running the ball and he had rolled out and everyone had gone to cover receiver I think it was man coverage so he was left unchecked cross comes streaking in there brings him down short of the sticks fourth down you punt that's a smart play that's an effort play and that's a quick decision that he makes and it's a sound tackle as well and a pretty big quarterback in Clifford Jacob who else you want to give a great ball to yeah, so we talked about Rakim Jarrett earlier, so I, I want to give him credit, but also I want to move on to another receiver in the receiver room, and I'm going to pick Dante Demas. He had six receptions for 86 yards and a touchdown last night, and I don't know if you guys agree with me, but I think he's probably the most underappreciated player on this Maryland team. Not necessarily, I don't mean to say that the Maryland players don't appreciate him. I just, people maybe outside the program don't realize what a talented receiver he is, and I know Daniel Oyafusi, who was on our last episode, talked about it, but... Dante Demas just consistently goes out there and does his job every single game, doesn't let the defense know about it, doesn't talk, and consistently produces. I mean, last night he made a phenomenal catch on the opening drive, the 19-yard throw from Talia. He fitted into a tight window on the sideline. And then the uh, 34-yard touchdown where Maryland ran the uh, levels concept and Demas just snuck behind his own defense and found himself wide open and caught a really important touchdown for Maryland to give them momentum going into the second half. And his rapport with Talia has been really impressive through three weeks, and I'm really excited to see how Demas continues to emerge for this offense because, honestly, while Rakim Jarrett is a really talented receiver and he showed that last night, if I'm an opposing defensive coordinator, the guy that scares me most from the Maryland receiving core is Dante Demas. And I don't think that he gets a lot of the credit from opposing teams that he maybe should, because I think he's arguably Maryland's most dynamic offensive weapon. See, what I'd say is he's Maryland's most complete weapon, right? I think in terms of dynamic, you're thinking about like explosiveness. I think of Jayshon Jones or Rakeem Jarrett immediately just because of the game-breaking speed they have. And listen, that's not to say Dante Demas is slow. He's incredibly fast and incredibly skilled. What what I'm saying is he's Maryland's most complete offensive player. And he does that because he's an incredible route runner. He's very skilled, making tough catches. I mean, that that catch he made, I think it was like the second or third play of the game, where it's a corner out to the sideline and he has to make a tiptoe catch uh, outstretched over two defenders. I mean, that's a really tough throw and catch, but they have the chemistry to make it work. He's a great route runner. He protects the ball well. He's good after the catch, and he's big. I mean, that's a that's a really big, strong player who can box out corners and safeties for uh, receptions. I think he's such a complete player. He's the perfect number one receiver to have, especially when you have the more dynamic, quick hitting, I can take anything to the house options like you see with Jay Sean or Rakeem. But what Dante gives you is consistency, right? He moves the chains no matter what. You throw him a screen pass, he's going to get seven yards. You throw him a curl, he's going to get nine. You throw him a slant route, he's going to get 11, and he's going to truck his, He's going to put his head down and get 13 maybe, right? He's consistent, and he comes at you again and again and again in an offense where the RPO is so central and you have so many sh- uh, short, quick-hitting routes coming off of three-step drops. I think that's absolutely integral to this offense. I think, I think he's one of the most important players. Wes, what do you think? Yeah, I mean, I saw, I kind of have to agree with that. Kind of like what Jacob said, being being underappreciated is one of those things where you get a five star recruit come in in Rakim Jarrett. You have Jay Sean Jones come back from injury, and everyone knows what he did as a freshman, especially that game against Texas. So, I feel like you kind of also got that sense last year, even though Demas was the number one receiver. Not many people talked about him, and and it feels like this year everyone sort of had all these new pieces come in, pieces come back. So it seemed like oh, Demas is just someone who's gonna fall back but he he has consistently gone out and produced and just just done his job 
100% agreed. I think another person I want to give the game ball to is just the entire offensive line. I think when we came into the season, Jacob and I were talking about how it would be crucial for Maryland to be able to protect their quarterback if they were going to have offensive success. And they've done exactly that. I mean, this entire offensive line, whether it's Jalen Duncan, Marcus Miner, Johnny Jordan, Spencer Anderson, one more guy that I'm forgetting right now, they've all played exceptionally. They've all been extremely consistent in terms of pass protection and running the ball. I mean, Jake Funk today, the stats weren't as impressive as they were against uh, Minnesota, but even today, 16 attempts for 80 yards, averaging five yards per carry, Petty Boone averaged five yards per carry. They were very consistent. There are never any gaping holes. They're never, uh, for the defense at least, when they're blitzing, there's a good job with blitz pickups. They slide well. They move well with Talia, which is tough to do when you have a mobile quarterback. I think that today they were great. As I said, uh, Penn State only had three sacks today. So, again, you see that this defense was unable to get to the quarterback, and Talia had time to make go through his reads. And part of that is also sacks or a quarterback stat, right, because it's how long you hold the ball. It's how you get rid of the ball, how you move the pocket. Talia is great at that, but the offensive line def- definitely deserves the props for giving him the time to execute this offense really well. Jacob, do you have any other, any other game balls? I just want to echo what you said about the offensive line. I think you make a great point. And I think the one play that's really emblematic of that was the second and 20 delayed handoff where Jake Funk took it 38 yards for the touchdown after Talia's uh, intentional grounding penalty. Johnny Jordan from his center position pulled and came all the way out as a lead blocker with an excellent open field block to give Jake Funk the hole. And Johnny Jordan, we talked about it at the beginning of the season is the most veteran presence on this offensive line. And when he plays well, it really sets the tone for this whole group. So coach Loxley talked about it during the week, how he's been really impressed with the group as a whole. He pinpointed that both tackles Jalen Duncan and Spencer Anderson, how he's been really impressed with their improvement. And if Maryland's offensive line continues to block really well, it's going to be really important for them because as we've talked about, if Maryland's offense can continue rolling, it's going to be really hard for defenses to compete with them with all the dynamic weapons that they have. What did you think about the offensive line? Yeah, so, I mean, the offensive line has definitely been a question mark for Maryland over the past few years. When you talk about quarterback play, you know, those those two have to go hand in hand. And, you know, we sort of saw it in the in the recruiting process coming into this year. They brought in so many guys, but not only that, they brought in size. You know, Maryland's always struggled. Maryland Rutgers, since joining the Big Ten, have always been traditionally smaller than, you know, the Midwestern Big Ten. You know, you get the corn-fed Iowa and Nebraska guys out there. <laughs> and, you know, it, it's, it's something that, you know, it was competitive enough in the ACC until you played a Clemson or a Florida State. But the Big Ten, week in and week out, you have to have more size. And, you know, when, when they came into this season um, from the 24-7 height and weight, I don't think there was anyone under six foot three and anyone under 300 pounds. So with seven guys that, that at least that tall and that big, you know, it just brings in a lot of size and it's easier to teach technique than teach size. So, you know, yeah. Coach Reagan's done a good job of, of teaching that technique, helping you know, you teach them to gain speed, put on better weight if there's bad weight. And it's just, you know, it, it's easier to build a program up like that. And you have to have that solid foundation. I also think that they just do a really good job together as a unit. The communication between them is really key. And that's another thing the coaching staff definitely gets props for. Uh, any of you guys have, do you have uh, some other game balls you want to give out? 
I mean, the only other guy that I think is, it was, it's funny because this guy was so dominant the first two weeks that it seems like him only having six tackles and the 34 yard scoop and score is like a down game for him, considering he was averaging about 15 tackles, but Chance Campbell, I've said it on each episode. He is the unquestioned leader of this Maryland defense. He played really well last night. He was flying all over the field. And although he, he did have six tackles, which is much lower than his uh, normal total this season, he's, he's just been phenomenal. And I'm really intrigued to see how he continues to play against another really challenging foe, probably Mar- or not probably definitely Maryland's toughest test of the season next week against Ohio state. I think that that's 100% correct. I think Campbell was somehow, despite being the best player on this defense, most likely, or one of the best at the very least, he was kind of just, he was there today. You know what I mean? He came in on a couple of blitzes, made some solid plays. But I think sometimes when you're dropping back into coverage like he was today, it's best when people don't say your name, just because that means you're in your zone, you're doing your job, and no one's getting behind you. They did a good job overall just, managing uh players right so i thought i thought they played extremely well um another guy i want to give a shout out to uh ruben hippolyte he came into this game he played a little bit here and there but he hadn't made any splash plays well today he had uh two sacks seven tackles and two more tackles for loss i mean he was exceptional all night he was there on the blitzes he was there in coverage and the defense as well just plays with the kind of energy that i feel like was kind of Missing at times, especially like in the Northwestern game, it was gone. In Minnesota, you saw it near the end of the game. But I think the energy they're starting to play with is really infectious. And it's starting to really uh, help them in terms of their actual play, which is really nice to see. Wes, what did you think about this defensive performance? Yeah, it was it, it, it was really good, and kind of like you said, um, getting getting Ruben was a huge thing for for Loxley. A lot of people talk about you know Rakim Jarrett's flip, and you know some of the other high profile guys, but. Um, Ruben, Ruben sort of proves to me, you know, Mike Lockley's ability to, you know, scout and get, get really good players, um, from high school because Ruben was like a middle of the road, three-star recruit in Maryland, Maryland jumped in there and was all out. They wanted to get his commitment. And, you know, once they did in the spring, you know, he went to summer camps, he got bigger, he got faster. He got a phone call from Nick Saban with an Alabama offer. And, you know, Maryland had to fight off people at the end, you know, he, moves up to a four-star recruit and you know it's just one of those things that proves that Loxley is able to find guys um, who have the skills and have the talent you know ahead of some of these other programs and that's really going to help Maryland um, just even more in the future and it's it's good to see that um, on the stage so fast. It is pretty wild how young this Maryland defense is for playing so well I mean the guys we've talked about so far right Campbell's a senior but Nick Ross is a sophomore Ruben's a freshman I mean, these are guys who are stepping in as really young guys. I mean, you don't I, – I, it's not – we're kind of taking it for granted, especially on the offensive side, and we'll get to that in a second. But they're just playing so well, and it's really interesting to see, like, what, what do they do next year? What do they do next year with more practice time if, you know, everything settles down? But if you give this team some more help on the defensive line, what could they be? The possibilities – I mean, right now, this is the best place to be. I've always said this is the best place to be as a sports fan because – when your team is young and overachieving, that's it. Because there's no expectations. Everything is gravy. And you're just you're, you're just thinking about all the possibilities. Then when you get good, the weight of expectations gets on you. But right now, the expectations are so low that anything is good. And they're 2-1 right now. They're, I mean, if they keep this up, they're looking up at, they're looking at I don't even know what the hype's going to be like by the end of this year. <laughs> I mean, listen, this next game, we're going to predict it later. And I'm guessing that me and Jacob are going to predict another loss. If they go into Ohio State and win that game, 
yo, <laughs> the hype trade is going to be off the rails. But yeah, this team's so young. I mean, Towley himself, he's just a sophomore, right? And he might be gone early because of just his you know, raw talent. But if he stays a little bit longer, you have a really great foundation to work on here. And I think it's something that they can build on into the future. Uh, I do want to give another game ball to Tarheeb. Still, again, another young guy, another freshman. He played all over the field today. I think he, he didn't travel with one receiver, but I, I, he was just really active in the run game a little bit. I, I love corners who can tackle, and I thought that he was really effective. Late in the game, I, again, Maryland got beat with some ball positioning issues when the ball was in the air. I didn't think that they were great, but again, that's late in the game. I'm not really putting too much stock into garbage time, but uh, still had four tackles and two pass breakups, led the team in that. He and Nick Cross were tied, so I thought he was just really effective. Um, any last game balls you guys want to give out or any last thoughts on this? Yeah, one last game ball that I want to give out, and he barely played because Maryland's offense played well, is Anthony Pecorella. Oh, yeah. <laughs> inside the five-yard line, pinning. I mean, he, he really had a big downgrade. He pinned uh, Penn State at the one, his first punt, and then his second one, he pinned him at the two. So if only Anthony Gotta could get a new him at the one both times. But, I mean, all kidding aside, Coach Loxley talked about it. While they weren't on the field very much, they needed to win the field position battle. And when the special teams unit and Pecorello was called on the field, they did their job. So kudos to Anthony and the special team staff for that. Yeah, the special teams has been extremely efficient through the first two weeks, right? You talk about Pecorello just now with the punting. And then last week, we talked a lot about Petrino and his long field goal. So, again, we're talking about complementary football, right? First half, offense stepped up. Second half, defense stepped all the way up. Special teams has been great helping out the defense with this field position battle. It's They're really playing together as a unit, even if they're technically separate units. I'd like to give another uh, game ball, actually, I just thought of this one, to the two coordinators, Scotty Montgomery and uh, John Hoke. Their game plans were exceptional. I mean, there were no receivers running free for the Penn State in the backfield. They were playing really disciplined on offense. They were keeping them off balance. You never knew what was going to happen. Was it going to be a short pass, a little screen to the right side, a run to the left side, a deep shot to the right side to Demas? Are they going to give it to Jared out of the backfield? That's one thing they do that I really like, and I was really unfor- uh, I really wanted to ask uh, Rakeem about it after the game, but he wasn't there. They play, they put him in the backfield really well. And I really love the matchup uh, opportunities that that gives them. Because if you have Rakeem Jarrett against a linebacker, oh, baby, it's over. He's taking it to the house like he did today. And uh, I thought, I I really like some of the creative stuff they're doing because I think it's really benefiting them. And now that they have this framework of an office now, they're really starting to expand on it and do some really cool stuff with it that I'm really interested to see what they do for this Ohio State game. Uh, Anything last, any last thoughts you want to do before we go on to our big numbers? All right, uh, let's go to our one big number. Mine is pretty simple. I've harped on this through the first, uh, what is it now, three weeks. They're plus three in the turnover differential tonight. Uh, I think that's monumental for this team, and I think it's a big reason why you saw them win. Jacob, what you got? Yeah, my key number, we talked about earlier, is seven. Entering the game, Maryland only had one sack. They had seven last night, which tied their most in a conference game since 2016 against Rutgers. They made Sean Clifford uncomfortable all night, while a lot of those sacks can be attributed to the coverage as well. That really just shows how Maryland's defense played well at all three levels, and that's definitely something they're going to need to do continuing into next week when they face Justin Fields, who's going to be a top-five draft pick next year, and is looking like he could be the Heisman, especially with Trevor Lawrence out due to COVID right now. Yeah, yeah, your your Giants might uh might need Justin Fields if Daniel Jones keeps playing the way he's been playing so far. I disagree, but we'll, uh, we'll we'll save that for uh, another episode. Hey, Jacob, we we got the game today. It's a uh, Washington versus New York. So, you want to give a quick prediction, by the way? 
Uh, yeah, I have two predictions, actually. The Giants win. Uh, that's my first prediction. And the second one is that Daniel Jones has a turnover-free game. So when he has five turnovers, because of how I'm <laughs> how I've been predicting things, you'll know why. But I'm going to go with – it's it's pretty sad that this is a bold claim, but Daniel Jones plays a turnover-free football game today. Yo, you got to get off that Daniel Jones train, man. I'm sorry. It's just not going well for you. Uh, Wes, <laughs> what's your big number? Um, I, w- I was honestly going to go with the, the seven sacks, but I'll, I'll come out and I'll just say 16, you know, after getting scored on 136 of three over the last three years, being able to beat Penn state handedly by 16 points is definitely something that, that Maryland, Maryland needed. And, you know, it's probably something they didn't expect, you know, like I, I said, going to the game, just being able to compete with the big programs is big lose by within two touchdowns, you know, don't, don't get blown out 70 points, you know, don't lose 59, nothing, you know, but being able to win by multiple scores is just, it's just great. Another uh, one big number that I had that I actually just noticed in my notes was 144, which is the number of receiving yards that Rakim Jarrett had the whole game. That was also the number of total yards that Penn state had in the first half by themselves. So Rakim Jarrett basically, or not basically, had the same amount of production offensively as Penn State's whole collective offense. So that just shows what a coming out party he had last night. And I just thought that was a really intriguing and also really funny stat as well. Did you see his uh, tweet after the game? Uh, Barstool asked, how is Rakim Jarrett that open on every play? And he he said, they played man coverage. We took that as disrespect. Oh boy, did he. I mean, the first two touchdowns were, I mean, a carbon copy of each other, right? With just him catching that route and then literally running in the exact same fashion. So we saw his just absolute incredible ability tonight. And I thought it was great to see. Um, yeah. I, one thing I wanted to point out was I was just looking around the college football stats site and there was a graph that charted EPA on one side and then usage rate on the other Obviously, you have all the way on the right is Justin Fields. Obviously, he's the best quarterback maybe in the nation right now. You know who second was? It was Talia Tagovailoa, and he was second by a wide margin. This kid's playing really well, and once again, it just shows the impact that that one change in player can have to the entire mindset of a team. They're bringing in a lot of new players, but at that one position, how important it could be. All right, let's get to our three biggest takeaways. Jacob, what's your first takeaway? My first takeaway is Talia's ball location and quick decision-making is just phenomenal. Matt Millen talked about it on the broad, on the telecast throughout last night, but those two touchdowns to Rakim Jarrett, Talia identified immediately whether they were playing zone or man on the first touchdown. No one motioned with Jarrett and followed him, so they knew they were playing zone. Jarrett made one quick cut. Talia fired a strike, and he was gone. And we saw it on the 19-yard reception to Dante Dimas that I talked about earlier, just the precise ball location. And if Talia is able to continue with this tremendous ball location and identifying what receiver he wants to throw to early on in the progression and doing it, he's going to continue to have great success. And I'm really excited to see how he plays next week against Ohio State because I thought that this week would be his biggest test, but next week is going to be an even bigger test. Wes, what did you think of Talia's performance today? Yeah, he, he, he played another great game. It's one of those things where, you know, like Jacob said, Maryland hasn't had this consistency of the position and it's, it's welcome. To, it's very welcome to see. Um, and yeah, he just he makes he makes good throws. And that's one thing that sort of separated him in the competition with um, Lance um, to get the starting quarterback job is his ability, not only, you know, being a smart runner, but being able to place the ball accurately, you know, consistently. That's, that's something that the Maryland's definitely needed. You can tell just how smart he is in terms of like football intelligence, just because he does so many things that he doesn't need to do, but he does it right. 
this is why I love preset motion. It lets you identify before the snap. He does that really easily. He calls out blitzes really well. You can tell this is a guy who's been coached up his entire life because he shows it with almost every decision he makes. Late in the game, he runs out of the pocket. Instead of going out of bounds and stopping the clock, he slides. Clock keeps running. That's another 30 seconds, 45 seconds you could run off. One again and again, he makes a small decision that over the course of a season really start to add up and really start to give you some value. You can't say enough about how well he's played. It's really incredible that he threw for 282 yards and three touchdowns, no turnovers, and it doesn't feel like anywhere close to the best game he could play, right? We, I mean, that was almost all in the, in the first half. He was He's so exceptionally talented and so exceptionally disciplined in the way he plays that it's really impressive to see. It's really impressive, especially for a guy who's just a sophomore, which is something I really like to point out. Uh, my thing that I like to take away is uh, the secondary is a lot better than we thought it was, at least than I thought it was. They played much more disciplined today. Like I said, in the late second half, they gave up a couple of jump balls to Dotson. I'm not too worried about that. But Nick Cross played really well. Tarheeb still played really well. Even Antoine Richardson came back from a pretty rough game last week. Wes, what do you think about that defensive performance, specifically the secondary? And are you think do you think they're kind of outpacing your expectations? Um, you could probably say that. Um, it's one of those where the defensive backfield and the defensive front really go hand in hand. You know, the problem with Maryland in the past few years is not being able to get pressure on the quarterback from the defensive line means that your defensive backs are out covering a lot longer than they than they should be, and that's naturally going to cause um, breakdowns. So you, you you sort of have to go hand in hand. But, yeah, you know, you see Tarheep still the first, you know, it, the, the, the depth chart's a little bit more of a, a pat on the back, but he's the first – cornerback on the team to earn a starting position there's still kenny bennett and um jacorian bennett on the on the other side still fighting um for who's going to be the starter on paper so you know just having all these young guys is good and and i no one can say they expected this this type of talent so far jacob what do you think yeah, echoing a lot of what both of you said. For me, the biggest thing is that I said before, just taking what they work on in practice and executing in the game. If they can continue that, I mean, like they were opportunistic, forcing turnovers, which is definitely something they need, they need to do. But they were they were playing tight coverage, but at the same time, they weren't getting penalties. I think they only had maybe one or two pass interference penalties, which were later in the game. They were playing tight and fundamentally sound coverage, which is all you can ask for because we talked about the penalty issues and a lot of them um, can be attributed to kind of late in the game, like offensive blunders. But I thought overall the defense did a pretty strong job of playing uh, penalty-free football. And when they were physical in coverage, they made sure to play within the confines of the rules of the game. So I think that Maryland's secondary is going to need to continue to play with that physical edge. And I'm like Wes was saying, I'm really intrigued to see how the battle continues to play out for that second cornerback spot between Jacorian and Kenny Bennett, because both of them had some really solid plays last night. All right. Do you guys have any other big takeaways? Um, I, I was going to say balance. You know, a lot of people came in the season and said, you know, Maryland's going to be a pass heavy team. They got this new quarterback. They got a lot of receivers, but Maryland ran the ball nine more times than they threw the ball last night. And, you know, a lot of that is attributed to, you know, chewing clock and all that, but Jake Funk has really proved himself that he's someone who could play on the big stage. Like someone I saw on Twitter last night, he's had, I think it was three different family members do athletics at Penn state, but he was never good enough to get that offer. You know, even though he was all time leading rusher in Maryland high school uh, football history, not good enough to get that Penn state offer, but you know, he was able to come to Maryland. He waited his time out and now it's the senior season and 
still people said, you know, oh, he's just the senior leader. He doesn't necessarily have the size or the speed. He's got, you know, the knee injuries. And he's come out and consistently proved that he is someone who can be a Division One FBS high-level football player. And, you know, he's really earned that from that starting job. And he's proven that it doesn't necessarily have to be a committee. You can throw 16 attempts out at Jake Funk in the game and let everyone else take the garbage time touches. And, you know, it's, re- it's really good to have that balance because like we saw with Penn State, when you're not balanced, teams can can pick pick you apart and, and attack your weaknesses. Jacob, anything else? Yeah, I think that's a really great point that Wes makes and just another testament to Jake Funk. We all know his story coming back from two torn ACLs and just so happy for him. He's playing really well and I really hope it continues, not just as a fan, but just as a human being. Jake seems like a really great guy that the team loves him and when they see how he's performing, it's not unexpected for them. They talk about this. We know Jake. This is what we expect from Jake. We know the kind of player he is and if Maryland's offense wants to live up to its potential, they're going to need Jake Funk to continue playing really well. Yeah, for sure. You really feel good for him. And Wes, I really agree with you about the point that you made about the balance because it makes your offense just so much more unpredictable when they don't know what's coming. And it really makes, you know, the play action gets a little bit better. The RPOs get a little bit more dynamic. And, you know, everyone just starts to inch up a little bit and then you hit him over the top like you did to Dante Demas. Uh, that's all we've got uh, for with Wes. Oh, my last note. You know what? I have one more thing. We're going to go over our predictions and over-unders in a second. Uh, my... Uh, Last takeaway is that Jacob and I are horrible at predicting stuff. Uh, that's three weeks now where we've been like over 20 points off with what the final score is going to be. You know what? Next time we're, we're I'm just going to think about what I'm going to pr- uh, predict. I'm just going to do, I'm going to flip the score and I'm going to see how that works. Uh, Wes, thank you so much for coming on. We really appreciate you being here. Where can people find you on Twitter? Plug your stuff. Um, Twitter, Instagram's the same W underscore Brown 21. And then obviously everything over at, um, Tessio times, you know, I'm doing the, the film reviews and, and helping out with that coverage. And yeah, a lot of my stuff's on Twitter. So you can probably find me there. Check him out. He's the best there is for Maryland coverage. Well, except for us, maybe, uh, <laughs> uh, you can check him out, uh, at his Twitter. Thank you so much. We'll be back in a second to review our predictions and over unders. All right, and we're back. We are going to go over our over-unders and predictions from the preview episode. So, Jacob, first off, let's start with the predictions. What did you predict for this game? I said 42-31 Penn State, continuing my trend of being nowhere near what the final score was going to be. I said Although I will 30, say I did say that I did say that Maryland would cover and they did cover, so I will take that. <laughs> you said the same thing last week when I, I know, beat Minnesota. For the, second, for the second week in a row. <laughs> I did not have the covering, but I was closer to the final score. I said 37-24. Uh, I think you know that was two points off. For, you know who cares about the fact that I got the teams flipped up in terms of who's going to win? That's okay. But yeah, uh, we're gonna. <laughs> I don't know how our predictions have been this off through three weeks. I mean, next week kind of getting ahead of ourselves here but i'm guessing we're going to predict them to lose against the number two or maybe number one after clemson lost team in the country i don't know i don't know it's i mean if they beat them then i I give up on predicting after that uh let's go over the over unders the first over under we had was talia touchdowns at 2.5 yeah we we both nailed it we both said over talia finished with uh, three touchdowns yesterday so it's a good start for us both uh one and oh on the week there we go. There we go. Uh, then we had Jayshon Jones receiving yards, 70, uh, 60 and a half. 
Unfortunately, this one, we were both incorrect. We both <laughs> over. He only had one reception and one target yesterday for 12 yards. So that one hit under and we were both incorrect on that one. So we're one and one on the week. So Jay Sean Jones kind of has like that Deshaun Jackson thing when you like, if you ever had Deshaun Jackson in fantasy, it's very much a boomer bust thing. Like if he, if he goes and catches a 70 yard bomb, you're great. If he doesn't, then he's going to give you three points. So, you know, Jay Sean uh, didn't break one today. So we got a little bit lucky. UMD turnovers. I think this is where we start to split because the over under is at two. Yeah. I said under, you said over Maryland had a plus three turnover differential, their first turnover free game of the season, which was a big part in why they won the game. So I moved to two and one and Varun is one and two on the props for the week. It's been a great week. Uh, Sean Clifford passing yards. I hit the under at 220.5. I said the over for this one. He ended up with 340 passing yards because uh, he just had to throw a lot. So I I moved to, I guess, three and one on the week. And then Varun is now one and three for the props. You know, I was celebrating for a second there because I thought he hit the under. Then I I forgot about all the garbage time yards at the end of the game. Yep. Oh man, this is a bad week for me. Uh, Jahan Dotson receiving yards, seventy-five point five. Uh, I I took the over in this one. He had one hundred and twenty-three receiving yards. Varun took the under, citing that Penn State was going to run the ball a lot, which I honestly thought they might as well. But they ended up being down early and needed to air it out. So I moved to four and one on the props, and Varun moves to one and four. T- tough week for Varun. A good week for me in the props. We got one more. <laughs> uh, for the last one, we have references to Maryland versus Penn State last season. Uh, I, uh, we had the props set at one and a half. I took the under, uh, Varun took the over. I only heard one reference to it during the telecast. However, I was focused on writing my story. So it is possible that I missed another reference to it throughout the game. So this one, I guess we could chalk up as even, I don't want to, I, I think it's even cause I, I wasn't listening to the broadcast either. I muted it. After I don't, I don't want to rule either way. So yeah, <laughs> I, I, it's, not- it's it unfair judge over here <laughs> exactly so uh, for the props this week i went uh four and one Varun went uh one and four but you know our goal next week is not to hit on the props our goal for both of us is to it's get a, prediction. a more accurate score prediction considering that's an area where as i think we really struggle i think if any one of us at some point this year predicts the exact score of a game right just like if, if we predict it has to be the correct team as well so you can't like predict maryland loss and maryland win happens but if that happens we the other person has to give them five dollars i think that's the rule we have to make it's not gonna happen but you know <laughs> i think being within 15 points at this point um any last thoughts before we get out of here no just a really phenomenal win for maryland last night a historic win for the program just their third over penn state in the history the 35 points scored is the most they've ever scored against penn state in the history of the rivalry and it's a massive win for the foundation that coach loxley is trying to set here in maryland and they got their biggest test of the year next week with number three Ohio State and Justin Fields coming to College Park I can't wait for that one and I'm sure you're really excited for it as well it would be great you can catch all of our coverage of that game here we'll have a preview episode as always a recap episode we're going to be here throughout the season folks we're going to be here maybe even beyond that so if you love I mean, we love the support we've been getting. So if you love the podcast, please rate, review, and share the Hail Maryland podcast. You can find us on the WMUC Sports feed. Jacob, what's your Twitter? So I can quickly plug that. At Jacob Stein 23, S-T-E-I-N 23. And I'm at at by Varun Shunker. You can see it in the bio, so you don't have to type it out. As always, if you leave a five-star review and add in your question, we will read the review on air. So please do so, and we'll shout you out and answer any questions you have. 
Thank you guys so much for listening. Until next time, this is the Hail Maryland Podcast. <laughs>